Well, what you saw there is a bunch of people that God loves and Jesus died for, right? That's what you saw. And, uh, and God, many times, because the Scripture says that, that Christ has made us ambassadors, we're compelled, 2 Corinthians 5.14, by Christ's love to no longer look at people from a worldly point of view. In other words, we actually look at people as people Jesus died for. We look at them as, as people that God loves. And Olivia saw them all the way in, in, in Tempelo, Philippines, there with neonatal nursing to help out uh, there with that clinic. And she'll be sharing in the discovery class in the next hour if you want to come and hear more about her mission trip. But we celebrate the fact that we were able to support her and pray for her on that trip. Hey, you're going to turn with me uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're heading into a whole new section. We started with how we have been adopted as exiles. We're elect exiles, and it talked all about our belonging and the mark of our belonging, the critical mark of our belonging is that we love one another. That's the first section that goes all the way to verse 10 of chapter 2. But now our big word is going to move from belong to submit uh, or to make yourself subject to. That's going to be our big word. Before I do that, I just need to remind you that probably... Definitely the most famous person in First Baptist Church is here today. Um, his name is Jesus, and we're going to be talking about him all throughout the, the Scripture. But another person that's uh, pretty well known right now because you've been praying for him is, is Jay Raymond. And could you just wave to Jay back there? He is here this morning. All right. And uh, he's, yeah, he's nestled in there. Uh, he's protected. He's got several guards all around him and stuff like that, so you can't... You can't get to him, but uh, he said he was coming to church, and sure enough, uh, here he is. Um, uh, this past Tuesday, um, I took the uh, new uh, cornhole boards that our friend Bob Drew made for the church and was loading them out of the gym into my vehicle in the front parking lot. And it's hot. It must have been 95 degrees outside, and I'm burning up. I'm, I'm sweaty. I've got no air conditioning in my car. I'm loading it all up. And I'm just sticking to my shirt, and I hear, Pastor! Pastor! And wouldn't you know it, but there comes Nels Gruppin walking across the car parking lot toward me. He hadn't been out of the hospital for a day after his stroke, and he comes walking by, and he says, Come here! And I said, Okay, what do you want? And he goes, I want a hug. Okay, okay, you got to know Nels Gruppin. It took me 10 years to get this hug out of this guy, okay? Right out there in the dripping hot, sweaty, sunny Tuesday afternoon, I got the hug from him. And then here comes Chris. She gets out of the van uh, that had pulled in and stuff like that, and she comes over. I'm thinking I'm going to get another hug, and, and no, she says, move him over to the shade, please. Okay, so, so we move over to the shade, and, uh, and we hug a little bit more, and then we cry a little bit, and he goes, man, crying just comes to me natural now. And uh, yeah, things really, really change when you consider going from life to death and from death to life, things really, really change for you. Your perspective just gets more extra different. Now, just a warning. You, Nels is here worshiping with us this morning, too. Just to remind you, he's all hugged out for a couple of years, so give him a couple of years and maybe he'll, he'll get another hug. But... Um, 
the message this morning for you to receive it and do it. We're going beyond talking about who you are and talking about what Jesus did for you. And we're heading into, Pastor Tom already started it a little bit when he started talking about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. This is requiring action. And this is action in suffering. And so we're going from living hope to living stones to now living under God. And today the main idea is that the dedicated, obedient life for Christ is under authority. You and I, we're under authority. We literally voluntarily subject ourselves completely to God. My obedience is always unto God, but it speaks to all hearts, including mine. One of the things that's going to come up that we don't often talk about is, is we say a lot of times people are watching you, God is watching you, even the believers in your church are watching you, but guess what? You're watching you. You're asking sometimes whether or not you have what it takes. You come to the end of your rope sometimes and you wonder, is there anything left in me that will rise up to glorify God or to live for God? So when I'm godly in relationships and godly in suffering, the gospel has greater impact. And isn't that what I want? That's what I put there at the end because there's got to be desire to please God in hearing this message or we'll miss what Peter is saying to us. Can I ask you a quick question before we pray and read the scripture? Who are you under pressure? Who are you under pressure? Are you the same person? Are you a different person? Because under pressure, I've, I found out plenty of times, I am a very, very different person. There are times where every Christ follower comes to that thought in his flesh. Is it worth living for Jesus right now? I mean, right now, is it worth it? Because you're under pressure. The world has pressed in. There's been some type of an assault, an attack. Peter's going to talk about the foolish talk of ignorant men. Peter's going to talk today about the, the assault on the testimony of Jesus Christ in you. Just a couple of Christmases ago, I was walking in Charlotte on Christmas break in my father-in-law's neighborhood, and it's a big neighborhood, and, and I'm just walking down the street, and I was actually reading a book as I was walking, and so this dog kind of snuck up on me, but I'm walking along the side up, and up comes this golden retriever dog and he's just a real pleasant happy dog and he says hey hey what are you doing and I'm you know and so I put my hand out and I start to pet this dog about the same time the dog apparently the dog's owner comes out of the house out of the front door and begins to shout at me and says what do you think you're doing petting my dog and talking to my dog and I'm thinking you know what I think I'm doing is I was walking down the sidewalk and this dog comes up to me is what I'm thinking right but this person, because he had let his dog out early in the morning, it was early in the morning, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, because he'd let his dog out early in the morning into the front yard, he was just a little too lazy to walk him on the leash and take him for a walk so that he could do his business and stuff. And he figured he'd just, you know, go and flip his eggs in the kitchen and come back out and get his dog, right? Well, I guess he felt some kind of conviction. And instead of saying, oh, gosh, my mistake, it, it's wrong for me to have the dog out without a leash, he just lit into me, and he called me a bleepity bleep, and he asked me what the bleepity bleep I was doing, what I was thinking, and stuff like that, and I just kind of just stood there. And really, it, it happened so fast, and it came so hard, I didn't know what to do. So I just started walking on again. But I want to tell you something. For the next two days, I thought of everything I could have said to him. 
right? Oh, my flesh felt attacked. All of my security felt attacked. All of my personhood felt attacked when I wasn't doing anything wrong. When I wasn't doing anything wrong, I felt this. Who are you under pressures? All those zingers. Oh, I had some good ones. I'm the guy that's walking on the sidewalk. You're the guy that let his dog out without a leash. I'm the dog patrol, and now I have to take your dog into canine custody because you're too much of a jerk to be a dog lover. Oh, I had some good ones. I had some really good ones. Who are you under pressure? Peter's going to ask that question here this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, now, in Jesus' name, attack all of our blindness and all of our ignorance. Attack the fleshly side of us that is resistant to your truth and help us to embrace, hear, listen, take in, embrace, and then live out the truth that is here in this scripture. God, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us. Make, show us the hurtful ways that are in us, the self-protective ways that are in us, the self-magnifying ways that are in us, and the self-serving ways that are in us. Heavenly Father, here this morning, and help us to suffer correctly and sacrificially for Jesus as servants of God. We pray that your word would deposit itself correctly and that you would bring about life change in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Olivia Ansel, our missionary to the Philippines, comes to read God's word here this morning. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 through verse 25. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you still endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, Mm -hmm. leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now I've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That's God's word. Thank you, Olivia. For you were straying. For you were straying. The last verse there, you can be seated. The last verse there, it says, for you were straying, but now you're coming back. I don't know if you recall last week where we started with verse 4 where it says, as you come to Christ, or coming to Christ, it's actually a participle there, 
uh, that we said Christianity is not a one and done experience. You don't just get saved and you wait to go to heaven. Christianity is always coming to Christ. This morning, you could come to Christ. This morning, God could bring about a change in your life because you come to Christ and you come to that revelation of Jesus, which Peter puts in front of us here, showing at the end of this section that Jesus is the perfect model of suffering. He glorified God without sinning, without resistance. He perfectly suffered for the sake of what God wanted to reveal the gospel to you and I so that you and I could recognize that we are people who have been mercy, that have been made a people of God. That last verse reminds us again that people are always coming to God. Peter is talking to a people that are going through spiritual transition. They're going through spiritual change. They, they, they are adjusting. They're adapting. They, 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 they came under the pressure of being believers in a diaspora under probably the Neronian persecution of 62 AD. And so they're all over Asia Minor. And, and, and they, in some ways, they've, they've had to uh, spread out and scatter to protect themselves. And they've strayed a little bit. Who knows whether it has been just in their heart's longings, whether it's they've compromised in their lifestyles, whatever it is, but they are coming back to God. Who here? hasn't strayed under pressure? Who here hasn't wavered under the heat of the world, under the heat of just ungodly evil conduct that attacks who you know yourself to be? And Peter says, let's start with understanding our posture by looking at the worthiness of God's work in me in verse 10. You see verse 10, he says, you once weren't a people, but now you are a people. You once did not have mercy, but now you have obtained mercy, or you have received mercy. You see, he's saying your posture as a child of God is that you were once locked out and with no way to get in on your own. You were locked out, just as there once was a people called the Jews, and they were the people of God, and if you weren't Jewish, you were locked out. You couldn't get in. But instantly, without any merit, without any effort on my own, I was shown mercy, and suddenly I became a child of God. I belong to God. That's the posture. I'm the posture of one who's been made a people. I'm the posture of one who has received mercy. I'm no longer marked as one who would get what he deserves, but I'm one who gets not what he deserves. I'm no longer outside of the grace of God, but I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. It's very important to be reminded of who we are because who we are gets attacked when we're suffering. Who we are gets challenged when we're under pressure. And then then Peter's going to move on to the worth of godly submission in verses 11 to 17. The worth of godly submission. And in verses 11 and 12 are kind of grouped together in a separate section because it's talking about an inner battle. There's going to be an outer battle, and there's going to be an inner battle. But look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, those phrases mean temporary residents and residents without rights, no citizenship. I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Where does your flesh rise up? When does your flesh rise up? Is it when your security is challenged? Is it when your belonging is challenged? Where does this happen more than when it happens in suffering? 
Don't we in suffering go, I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? Oh, I'm going to get that guy. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So here's the amazing thing that Peter is going to do. He's going to say, instead of waging war and sending a fist in the direction of your enemies, instead, the place that you really should turn the passion of your holiness, you should turn it inside at your soul. The place where you ought to wage war is for your personal holiness because that's at stake here. What happens on your insides is what's going to affect what happens on your outsides. He's going to later on say, hey, look, what good is it to suffer when you've, when you've done evil? Because anybody, when they suffer, there's nothing noble or manly about that because you got what, you got what was coming to you. But it, when you, the, the phrase means take a fist. When you take a fist and you're innocent for doing nothing wrong, then you have a platform, then you have a place for God to really show himself in your life. And he says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Why does he say Gentiles there? Because Peter's intentionally doing that to say, look, their very name, it means, entire, uh, it means exiles. It means uh, outsiders. A Gentile is a not Jew, not the people of God. But he says, keep your conduct among them because they have an inner sense of displacement. They have an inner sense of not belonging. They have an inner sense of not obtaining mercy, right? They've been locked out of the kingdom of God because of their sin. And they, they, they even know it in their souls, but still keep your conduct honorable about that so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. And so here's what we know. People are always looking to attack the gospel. People are always looking for a fresh way. In that day, Christians were being accused of practicing incest because they called each other brother and sister. It was an ignorant thing to do by outsiders, but it was an easy thing to do. They're accused of practicing cannibalism because they would receive the body of Christ together when they practiced the communion, remembering Christ's offering of his body and his blood for them. Again, it was an ignorant thing for, for them to do, but it was an easy thing for, for them to do. And the ignorant will remain ignorant if it gets them what they want. The ignorant will remain ignorant if it gets them what they want. And then verse 13, he says, So be subject for the Lord's sake. And subject means there to submit, to place myself under authority to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those to do evil or to praise those who do good, in order to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Alan Stibbs, in his commentary, he puts it this way. He says, instead of receiving condemnation, God will receive commendation. Instead of receiving condemnation, God will receive commendation because you will silence the ignorance of foolish people. And he says, live as people who are free. You are a voluntary Christian. You're a voluntary Christian. You're not an obligated Christian. You're not a forced Christian. You're not a religiously oppressed Christian. You signed up. You volunteered for the grace of God to live inside of you. You volunteered for Jesus to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sins, and to give you a new life 
in himself. You're a volunteer. And he says there, hey, look, why in the world would you use your liberty as a cloak or a cover-up for evil? So instead, live as servants of God. And he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Here's what Peter is saying in that section. He's saying there is no place, there is no time, there is no person to, no institution in which you are not under the authority of God to submit to him in whatever it is that you're getting back. Whatever it is that you're getting back, whatever hardship it is, whether it's from the government, whether it's through someone else who's in authority over you. In a few verses, we're going to see uh, a conversation about slaves and masters. And while we certainly do not condone slavery and we don't have it in our country, we still are under authority to certain employers, aren't we? We do have people that are still over us. And so there's no place while living as exiles in this world where we are to check out of our identity and to check out of our calling to be holy to God. Living for the Lord's sake, which is right there. It's for the sake of the Lord. In other words, God has a will and God has an agenda for you living right now. And God has an agenda for using you, and especially under pressure, because that can send a great message to an unbelieving world. Dr. John MacArthur said it this way, we lay a platform of credibility. We lay a platform that speaks of the validity of our faith when we do what is right, when we live a righteous life. And the key verses here in the middle of this section are verses 15 and 16. Look at it again. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, all right, so the first part of the will of God is, is you do good, you do right. But also it's his will that people should be put to silence. The word there literally means to muzzle a dog, Put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And so Peter says, look, there's an inner battle that God wants you and I to win when we're under pressure. This is where we're supposed to make war today. This is not how the, how the world does it. The world makes war on the outsides where everybody can see it. The world fights. We fight for what's mine. We take what we can get. We do air, the worry, all that happens on the outside. When politicians are going back and forth and they're arguing with each other and we see this on a news clip or we look it up on one of our uh, news updates on our phones and stuff like that, nobody goes, oh, isn't that surprising? I'm surprised by that. Now, what really shakes up, what really surprises this world it's when someone can take what's given and does not repay evil for evil, Romans 12. That is what really surprises the world. But there's got to be that inner battle. Jesus says in John 14, 15, he says this, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so what has to win that war? It's my love for Christ. It's my love for God. You say, I, I'm not great under pressure, Clint. I'm, I, I, I struggle under pressure. How's your love for the Savior? How's your love for God? Ask God to fill you up with love for him so that your agenda is really to please his agenda more rather than yourself. There's something deeper than obedience because of duty, says Warren Wearsby, and that's obedience because of devotion. Because of devotion. So there's an inner battle, but there's an outer benefit. 
if we win that inner battle. People are watching, and heaven is watching. And what people are watching, by the way, unbelievers are watching and believers are watching. There are two statements that are made in this section about the unbelievers that are watching. Number one is they'll see your good works and they'll praise their Father in heaven. They'll recognize God by you doing good while suffering. And they will also be silenced. The testimony of God will be clear because of it. So there's an outer benefit, but that's not just to the unbelievers, it's to the believers as well. Because there may even be people seated here right now and you're ready to check out. All you need to do is see one more spiritually apathetic Christian, and you'll say, okay, I'm done too. Why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to serve in church? Oh, if I had that 10% of my tithe back. There are plenty of people right now in the church of Jesus Christ, and they're ready to go down that road of spiritual apathy and turn their hearts off, off to God if they see one more Christian sell out. It's not just the unbelievers that benefit from the testimony of doing good under pressure. It's you and me. Are you there this morning? Are you ready? You just have that fatigue in your soul and you're just tired of the fight and you'd rather just not care as much. Oh, follower of Jesus, rededicate your life to God today. Come to Jesus Go to somebody else in the church of Jesus Christ and pray with them and say, come on, brother, let's press on. Let's spur one another on toward love and good deeds because people are watching. I got to see my father both ways. I got to see my father both as an unbeliever and I got to see my father as a believer. And so when I was nine years old, my father did not know Jesus as a savior. And he was going to church just as a good man. And, and uh, he was an attorney. And so he really knew the law really well. And he'd been in court and he'd worked with police officers a lot and all this other stuff. Well, one time he gets falsely accused of assaulting an umpire at a baseball game. Falsely accused. Now, there were hundreds of witnesses there, but still that umpire wrote this report to the league, to the Babe Ruth League. And the league started to bring my father up on charges. When my father, not knowing Jesus, said, you want to bring it here? Okay, fine, I'll bring it here. And he writes this attorney's letter with his seal and stamp on it, and he says, answer me these questions, and how could it be, how could it be, how could it be? And if you do this, then this is how I will counter this, and I'll sue you for defamation of character, blah, 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 blah. And it ended right there. They made a phone call to him and said, we're dropping everything. Have a wonderful day, Mr. Eccles. And I was like, I was nine years old. I was like, yeah, dad, dad, the fighter, yeah. Take it. And then my dad, he came to know Jesus. And he always had his Bible open in the house. And he was always reading the Bible at the kitchen table and, and back in his bedroom. He was always taking notes at church. And, and uh, he stopped doing a lot of things. And then there was this one incident that really turned my attention to God. We were pulling into the parking lot at the church that we attended where he had found Christ as his Savior. And it was a very hilly parking lot. And uh, this woman had left her car on top of the hill without pulling up her emergency brake, and she'd left the car in neutral. And as we were looking for a parking space, this car just comes rolling backward with no driver in it, comes rolling backward into my father's car and dents the whole left side of the vehicle, both the front door and, and the rear door. And, and crushes it in and bends in the, the bumper of this other car. 
And so, you know, it all happens in a matter of seconds, and we, we say, what are we going to do? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to stay here because there's going to be a really good fight coming, right? And Dad says, no, son, you go in to worship with your mother, go in with your sister, I'll stay out here and make sure that everything's okay. I was like, no, Dad, I want to stay, I want to stay. Really, I wanted to see the fight. So I go in there, and I can't, I can't focus at all. I'm just thinking, oh, I wonder who it is. I wonder if it's like an old dude or a young lady or, or a teenager. Who was it that did this? And I'm imagining all the scenarios and stuff that come out. And there's my dad talking with this lady. And he says, look, here's what happened. He explained it all to her. And she goes, that can't be what happened. There's no way that that happened. She goes, you know what? I left my doors unlocked. I bet you went into my car and released the emergency brake and rolled my car down into your car. And my dad was just amazed at this. Here he is getting accused, getting accused when he was trying to make the peace. And so he says, no, that's not, not what happened and stuff like that. And he goes, really, you know, you're at fault here. You know, I, I could have had other witnesses. I could have made a big deal about it. And finally my father stops and he says, he says, he says okay, okay, here's, here's my card. All right, let's just drop it. I'll take care of the repairs myself. In fact, I'll just repair your vehicle as well. Two days later, my father got a phone call at the house, and it was this lady. She'd recently been through a divorce. She was a single mother. She didn't have a penny in her wallet. And she thanked him for the way that he had handled her that day, even though he had done nothing wrong. We are a peculiar people. We're supposed to be strangers and exiles. We're supposed to be this weird that we don't give back what the world is giving us. Instead, we give back the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live out this. You know, there are three identities that help us to understand how we live under pressure. The first was aliens and exiles, and that was, we don't belong here, we live here temporarily. Aliens and exiles. The second one is this, is that we're free citizens of God's kingdom. We volunteered for this. We're set free from the tentacles of this world. We're able to live from another world. And thirdly this, we are servants of God. We're servants of God. We've been remade into worshipers. He says, now do this, live this life as a servant of God. Have you worked your way through that identity that you don't belong here, but you fully belong to God? You have total citizenship with heaven. And it really, as a worshiper, you are a servant of God and his agenda. Because if you arrive there, then your will is to want and to do the will of God, rather than to impose your will upon things. Because that's what happens to us many times when we're under pressure. We take matters into our own hands. The phrase is we crack under pressure, right? And we take matters into our own hands and either we head down this path of self-preservation. I've got to check out. I've got to get out. I've got to get away. And we live on this island of isolation, but at least the world's not hurting us anymore. Self-preservation. Or we head down the road of self-magnification, and we argue for ourselves, and we, we say, hey, look, I, I deserve better treatment than this, and we're defensive about who we are. 
self-magnification, or we had down even another road, and it's self-serving or self-satisfaction, where we say, I'm tired of this. I'll sin where I want to. I'll do what I want to do. And over here with self-preservation, what's happened is we've cared so much about our security, we don't care anymore about the insecurity of a lost world. And over here, where we go to self-magnification, we've cared so much about us, we don't care anymore about the glory of God and God being seen instead of me being seen. And over here at this area of self-satisfaction that we go to, we don't care anymore about the holiness of God and pleasing God with our holiness. And that's just three. That's just three. I bet you could come up with one yourself. Where does your flesh go? Who are you under pressure? Peter says there's a there's an incredible application for all of us here that under suffering, if we do good, we silence the talk of ignorant men and they literally recognize God. There is a platform of validity that really proves the gospel when you don't live the way the world lives under pressure. The Christian life is the voluntary life. It's a voluntary life. What matters more than what I want when I want it, even when I feel that I need it. Do you hear that? What matters more than what I want when I want it, even when I feel that I need it? The answer is what God wants. That matters more. Then Peter's going to take us to mindfulness in of God in suffering. Mindfulness of God in suffering. The last section there. And look at some key verses, verses 19 to 20. For this is the gracious thing. When mindful of God, one, one endures sorrows uh, while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure it? There's that phrase there. You're beaten for it means literally you take a fist, okay? That's how the world offers it to, to you, all right? All right? So turn to somebody close to you right now and shake a fist at him and say, you better listen to Pastor Clint's message this morning. All right, turn, 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 turn. Shake a fist. Come on. Come on, shake a fist. Okay. Oh, gosh. You guys are just not very good at being hostile and angry and mean, and you're not, you're not very good at it. You're not very good at it. That doesn't make any sense, does it? doesn't make any sense, right? No, actually, when you suffer for doing good, but when you suffer and, and when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. That's a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why is it a gracious thing in the sight of God? It's because the one who graced us, Jesus, is going to be the model and example that we see in verses 21 through 25, where it says Jesus was innocent. Even though he didn't sin, he suffered. He, he bore our stripes so that we could be healed. He voluntarily went to the cross for our sins, and he's the one that will keep us from straying from him. What a picture that God gives us to remind us to be mindful of him. And we have a couple of temptations. Let's talk about them. The first temptation, instead of being mindful of God, instead of being mindful of God, we become mindful of our problem, mindful of our consequences, mindful of our suffering. And when we become mindful of our suffering rather than mindful of the good that we can do for God in our suffering, here's one of the phrases that we say. We say, I can't take this. I just can't take this. So we go and find a safe place where my light is completely toned down. There's no resistance on either side. I'm ready to go that road of self 
preservation, just to stay away from the world as far as possible. I can't take this. Or, yeah, we got to go there. Or the phrase, I am owed. Come on, Christian. Come on, Christian. Everybody else gets to live on 100% of their income, and you have to give 10% to Jesus. Everybody else gets to go out on their boat on Sunday morning, and you, you got to live for Jesus. Everybody else doesn't have to pray about everything before they do something. Everybody else doesn't have to keep up appearances. Everybody else, haven't you ever been at that place where you, get, where you say, I am owed. I have sacrificed and I have given up enough and enough and enough. Where in this passage of Scripture do you see Peter say this much and enough and then somebody else will take over? No, the Scripture says continue to do good while suffering because you're the person who can give your life away. You're the one that even though you didn't get a fair shake from the world and you didn't deserve most of the treatment that you got, you still can find great pleasure in serving Jesus. When I was a senior in college, I can remember when the phrase, I am owed, finally made it to my apathetic heart. I had worked for InterVarsity. I had served on the residence life staff. I would lost my scholarship to the military. I'd had to quit baseball in my freshman year. Um, I uh, had struggles um, meeting Christian girls and, and having any type of a decent uh, Christian relationship. And I was tired of the fight with my fraternity about their immorality. I got kicked out of my fraternity. One day, I just skipped a very important class, got in the car, drove all the way to the outskirts of Gettysburg, to the Kentucky Fried Chicken. I bought a bucket of 20 spicy wings, drove to the, uh, to the grocery store, bought a, a giant bottle of blue cheese dressing, went and sat in my apartment the entire afternoon and ate all 20 wings. Because I was owed. I was just, that, was the, that was my way that day of saying, I am owed. I can't take this. I am owed. Or third, all I need is somebody else to justify my behavior. All I need is somebody else. I'll go down that road of spiritual apathy. I'll turn my heart off. Instead of inspiring others to continue to live for Jesus, I instead will join those who have checked out from Jesus. I'll become a cultural Christian. Just find me one person that'll justify my behavior. Three temptations. I can't take this. I am owed. I'll find somebody else who is spiritually apathetic. Let's repent of them right now. Let's do it right now. Oh, God, forgive us. Forgive us for forgetting the worth of the gospel, the great worth of being mercied and belonging to you, the great worth of sending a message to a world that expects us to give back what they're giving, and yet when we don't, can see Jesus. Oh, God, fill us with the joy and the hope that you call us to, the living hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Forgive us for checking out, for sinning out. God, forgive us in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the unbelieving world seeing in you? What is God seeing in you? And what are believers seeing in you? Because there's three watchers. There's an unbelieving world. 
there's God, and there's the believing world. And Peter says, for to this you've been called, the call to worship and suffering. He says, for to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Listen, John MacArthur, again, he says it this way. He goes, this is how I think Peter exactly understood it. What he is saying is simply this that because of the ongoing observation of the character and quality of a Christian's life, an unbeliever will glorify God in the day when God visits to save him. All right? So in other words, at the time when the marvelous grace of God begins to move in the heart of a believer, and God is drawing that person to Jesus at that very moment, What is that person thinking about? What is that person experiencing? He's seeing where the gospel spoke to him. He's seeing where the gospel spoke to him. Was it in you? Was it in me? Was it in you? He's seeing where it happened. At that time when the Lord moves and enables them to discern the truth about their sin, that they don't belong to God and, they, that, and God wants them to, and the gospel opens up their heart, the marvelous thought is this, is that we were one of the Bibles that they read at that moment again and said, Jesus, save me. Come on, let's, let, let's pray through this. Let's pray through this. Let's, let's give up our spiritual apathy, our spiritual survivalism this morning, and, and let's, become, let's become the kind of follower of Jesus that God wants us to be. Let's pray through this. And after we pray through this, Pastor Tom does have a church announcement from your elders. And after that, I'm just going to pastor you through that just for a moment, and Pastor Jeremy is going to close with one worship song. But could we have several holy moments together? And could I come out there and pray for you out there instead of from up here? Let me just come out to the people and pray for the people. All right? Who are you? Does Jesus like it if I come out? Okay. All right. Uh, Who are you when you're suffering? Who are you under pressure? What temptation is the strongest temptation that you feel. I just gotta get out of this. I can't take this anymore. I am owed, I don't deserve this. Just give me one more person that sells out and I'll sell out too. Maybe you're like me and you're just a combination of all three. You're just a big old house sometimes of spiritual apathy. You say life is so hard and, and I have to say, is it, is it really? Is it, is it really? I mean, I understand that like um, two-thirds of Zealand didn't have power for like an hour and a half uh, this morning. And maybe, maybe some of those folks didn't get to have their hot water and, and electricity and didn't get their coffee makers working and stuff. But I think that we just saw even on the video in the Philippines a bunch of people jumping around and dancing and worshiping without many of the same comforts. All right? If you have a spider that big in your bathroom, you're excused. All right? Where is your spiritual apathy? And where would, where would God want to take it right now? Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. And you pray for the believers all around you. Pray for yourself. And just simply say, oh, God, I see this. I see this truth in the Scripture.
I hear to this you were called, that by doing good you would silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. I see it. I see it. Oh, God, I want to be a consistent message of the gospel even when things are tough, even when times are hard. I want to be that God glorifier even when I'm under pressure. God, give me your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. And oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me of the times where I've checked out and I've sold out and I've walked out. I come to Jesus. Bring to me a revived heart in Jesus Christ. Bring to me, Savior, greater devotion that dictates how I live.